Hello and welcome. In today's episode, we have a wonderful discussion lined up for you. We are going to be discussing different points of the AI model, examining the dangers of chat GPT, as well as some ethics that have come up in the news over the last few months, ever since chat GPT originated. And now, just to recap, the initial topic idea for the podcast will be fed through chat GPT. However, the uh, key topic um, is going to be um, have at least two discussion points that are generated from ChatGPT, and of course we can go off topic on any interesting conversation points that are not generated from ChatGPT. Now, of course, topic number one is our coffee. Normally we have coffee, but today we're going to be water people's. Dihydrogen monoxide. It's dangerous stuff. Some seed contains chemicals, which... If that is the case, I know that 100% of living organisms that have consumed dihydrogen monoxide are going to be dying at one point. So there's a difference between data, information, and wisdom. Wisdom is realizing that anything that's alive is going to be dying. Well, in reality, it really just boils down to I drank the last cup of the coffee that I had today, and I wasn't able to go out and get more. So unfortunately, today's going to be one of those non-coffee days that we're going to have a, a podcast with. But sometimes you need that. You need a break from the usual the and, you know, some time to kind of recap and think about why you're doing that to begin with. Right, because I was going to propose that we have speed instead of coffee in today's episode. But you need coffee to have the speed. So you got to work with what you got. I mean, it's a different kind of upper. Today, uh, hey, if you use cocaine, then don't tell me because I don't need to know that. Uh, no, I, I don't use cocaine, but it was just okay, a joke. But you use water. Water, yeah. Water is my speed. I think let's, let's leave it there. You're that. using it on a daily basis, multiple times a day, and that's what keeps you fueled throughout the day. Seriously that's what most stuff. people who take cocaine you know, reply back with. Exactly. It's, it's seriously addictive, just water. Uh, yeah, speaking of spreading false information... ChatGPT has started becoming one of the key topics on impacting society, the dark side of AI language models. What dangers does it have? Uh, assuming it's not a Sith Lord, that is. Well, the perpetuation of harm is really based on what information the AI model has. That's true. So when it comes to you know having false information spread... It boils down to what type of false information we're feeding it and where that comes from. I mean, we have to look into the methodology of how uh, ChatGPT even develops its language model, what data they're drawing itself from, and how accurate is that data. And the problem with the way that uh, ChatGPT generates data is a lot of it is about learning what information you have been putting in in the past and then generating data which makes sense for you. And for example, when it comes to news topics, you are likely to get chat GPT or another AI of sorts generating news based on your perceived political leanings. And that would lead to, well, we already have this now, but a society which is uh, dipolar and uh, cannot tolerate different information. And we get even this concept now where people say, this is my truth. Now, truth is an objective thing which exists. You cannot have my truth. My truth just means this is my opinion, but they are presenting it as truth where people are stating that their opinion is objective truth. And that is where issues start to arise. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. I was wondering if maybe having a 
politically sided AI program would impact you know people's day-to-day activities. For example, what's going to stop people from simply asking the AI what president they should vote for? And if the AI gives a legitimate response, then perhaps that you know political field can you know benefit from that. Maybe this will also lead to the creators and uh, moderators of these AI platforms uh, to start taking bribes from different you know agencies to present certain types of information to people. You know, just imagine for a second that Coca Cola started paying ChatGPT to you know try to promote coke products as much as possible so whenever somebody then asks chat gpt you know what's a healthy diet automatically the ai is going to start inserting coca-cola as one of the options and variables right and you don't even need to go so far because chat gpt is now i understand somewhat owned by microsoft or if not they have some sort of relationship with microsoft they have a partnership yes exactly and microsoft is known to be left-wing and bill gates has very left-wing views or at least extremely establishment views and sent but fundamentally they are left-wing establishment views and when you actually ask chat gpt a question which is something which is political but at the same time not encouraging any specific side generally what you'll get is the more left-leaning side presenting itself by default well, how do you think that the chat AI program could be filtered in such a way that it would prohibit misinformation from being spread or at least extremely politically cited information? Uh, you know, take, for example, you know, the presidential election, you know, that could just one insertion of an answer could lead the whole program to be you know all of a sudden sided one way or the other well what you could do is you could just simply remove anything political from chat gpt and then you could just give one of those answers which like if you ask chat gpt how could i hypothetically commit suicide it would not give such an answer now i'm not equating voting for your president committing suicide if that was the case then well the people who voted for biden basically did vote for the country to commit suicide but that's a different story well, it <sighs> well, when it comes to the, I guess, politically cited views, who's going to moderate this information? You know, who's going to hold the AI program accountable for what information it provides? It's an issue. Um, perhaps right. it should just state both sides, meaning whenever it gives an answer, it would say, this is one side, but then here is what the other side has to say about it. And then like this, you're getting both sides of the viewpoint rather than presenting one viewpoint because the way that you were talking about it you are assuming that chat gpt like a human could only produce one point of view but the the beauty of ai is you could have two opposing viewpoints being shown instantaneously which are using a slightly different engine so that would actually lead probably to the most balanced centrist viewpoint because we are now leading getting ourselves into a situation where on every single situation most people are siding on either the right or the left now, people are more complex than that, and people's views are more complex than that. Most right-wing people, at least, if you actually broke down what their views are, you'll find there are a few left-wing positions. And the, hypothetically, that is the same for left-wing people, where they would ac- you'd actually find some points of agreement with right- right-wing people. And finding those points of agreement and working off those is the key to having a healthy democracy. And when those points of disagreement, which we're slowly starting to see, start to break down, 
that is when democracy starts to get unhealthy and that's what eventually leads to hyperpolarization and eventually some sort of civil war and then eventually some sort of breakup of a country and the ending of this democracy. Well, that might be a great idea on the surface. Keep in mind that statistically speaking, the first answer that a person is given, that is the answer that they will end up going with. So if you have the AI program giving both answers, how would it present the answers in a way that would it make you click out after it gives you the first answer? You know, if you ask it what a great drink is and it gives Coca-Cola and Pepsi, most people, statistically speaking, are going to get Coca-Cola because that was the first answer that they were given. You can switch around. If you say Pepsi and some people get Coca-Cola, well then people will start getting Pepsi more so than Coca-Cola, statistically speaking, from the search. Right, that does make sense. But what you could say is there are two viewpoints. First, there are two viewpoints. is Pepsi and Coca-Cola. Here is some reasons why each of them would be the case. And there are some people who are very eloquent writers who integrate both ideas at once while they're explaining both and constantly juxtaposing uh you want one view against another. It's a very complex writing style to pull off, but at the same time, when we are dealing with a limitless amount of data and once a language model is perfected, it is indeed perfected, that is a good option for uh, the way that ChatGPT should be presenting itself or to present it in a way which is very analytical and requires uh, you to actually break down the answer and understand it. The problem there is, Many people who are looking to AI for answers are not looking for an eloquent, long, uh, nuanced answer. They just are looking for a right. quick snapshot where it's like, tell me this. Okay, this is the answer. They're not looking for an essay. They don't want you to write their six-page essay. Well, some people do. But in general, when people search, they're not looking for an essay. They're more looking, what's the answer to this question? But when it comes to politics, there is no quick, simple answer. You know, it, and this is this is now applied to both like the right and the left where they would take a very complex topic and they'll be like, okay, here's the answer. That's it, the end. W w the fact that ChatGPT will be constantly giving out a long-winded answer would force people to either click out, in which case, fair enough, then this is not the, the right thing which is being addressed, or they'll have to engage with the answer. It's like, the answer is not to load, lower the bar as much as possible. The answer is to raise the bar, and if people can meet it, then great enough. If not, sure. oh well. Well, maybe it's also with the information that it already has, uh, perhaps the uh, the uh, context in which the conversation is happening is something that the AI could be, um, you know, making it, generating its responses from that are either not relevant to the conversation or not completely accurate. You know, perhaps the AI thinks that you're talking about one thing when in reality you're talking about another. So it ends up mixing the two conversations together and giving you an answer that while it makes sense on the surface, if you know what you're looking for, some of those points may not actually be very accurate. You know, just hypothetically, there's all kinds of videos and, you know, fake articles that come out, you know, amongst a lot of political figures. So if who's to say that the AI model doesn't account or doesn't contain some of those incorrect, you know, non-factual data points that, that it's using to generate its response from. And I would say that that's almost impossible for even a human to detect when it comes to perfecting the AI model and going through and analyzing the data. It's, very, it's a very subjective point of view to go through the AI database and 
pick out the items that are not factually correct when you really might not have any idea. And the time, the cost it would take you to figure out if an AI point is correct is, you know, astronomical compared to the result that you would get from it. You know, if you say that the president wears white hair, that might be a very easy answer to find. But if you have an article that says that the president loves, uh, you know, John F. Kennedy's work, then who's to say that that's true? There's no, there's no any, there, there's very limited or, uh, I guess, solid uh, answers on whether the current president likes John F. Kennedy's work. Yes, that is true. And I, I guess one key takeaway from this whole segment is that it's very hard to actually determine what is politically true. And I think a lot of it is people need to just develop their own stable political ideology, which is to some extent apolitical in the sense that it is developed so outside of what is a current fad or in politics on either the right or the left and then just apply it to which candidate makes the most sense rather than looking into personality politics, which is now dominating the current arena. Well, uh, while that might be one option, I think this viewpoint can also be discussed in other topics, not just politics. Right. If you take a look at, you know, let's say the stock market, for okay. example, the AI can generate all kinds of predictions to where a certain stock is going to go based on the data that it has. And there's no solid evidence that any of those data points could possibly be true. And it's more just generating possibilities at that point based on the data that you fed it. But how is that different to human predictions? Currently, the models which are used to predict the stock market are basically identical to what you have just stated. And many times they are inaccurate. It's impossible to predict the stock market. If someone were to be able to predict the stock market accurately, well, they would be making a killing. I think that the point that we brought up earlier when it, with regards to the pol political side is that at some point the AI is going to be very biased on what it does. Based on past data and past information, it knows that generally if I go this route, the answer may be this or the person, maybe it knows the person already because the person always looks for a certain viewpoint. So if the person always looks for a certain viewpoint, what's stopping the AI from generating an answer based on the knowledge that it has that the user really wants this answer? That It's a fair criticism of the whole AI uh, system, and it's something which I guess boils down to people need to be well-educated outside of their computer and then have their wits about them when using the internet, which I think especially for the younger generations is harder for them to actually understand that the internet has limitations. It is not the end all and be all of life. Great. So the limitations are, I think, uh, like you mentioned, a key point to deciding whether or not you're going to listen to the answer that it gives you. Now, that does generate a further question th that we had today for the AI models. And that's regarding the amount of data that it has collected from users. The AI models such as ChatGPT and other similar of ventures, you know, there's picture models and, you know, Im there's image models, voice models, there's chat models. All of these models really collect a lot of data from their users, and that could potentially be used for a lot of malicious purposes um, if not, if the proper precautions are not taken. You know, for example, we've seen a lot of data breaches just from generic websites over the last month or two. You know, most recently, I think it was Reddit that said that they had a data breach. Uh, there was a LastPass. 
Um, I'm skipping a few, but there were quite a few data breaches within the last 30 to 60 days that occurred. And this just leaked users, you know, usernames and passwords and basic data. What we're talking about here is, I think, more confidential in a way because it allows the collector to really take a look at what the person's thinking as opposed to just their information. You know, let's just say that you collected both sides of the token. You collected a person's username and passwords, and then you also collected their their questions that they have and their way of thinking, their mindsets. How is that different to hacking someone's Twitter account? Well, hacking somebody's Twitter account is just hacking data. This it's is data, hacking. But it's also people's thoughts. It's people's direct messages. I'm talking about someone who actively uses Twitter a lot. I mean, firstly, you could just the, that information is freely available. How, but how is it different when you're asking people? I think that's that's the key. Points of questions. The key is the information is 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 available. The Twitter account's public. You can go and access anyone's Twitter account. Well, how for is the most that different part. to hacking somebody's Google account and then you see all their search history? People's search history basically says everything about what they're thinking. You know, all their Google searches, all the time they're in the car and they're saying, "Hey Google, um, I'm just curious about this because it's randomly popped into my head." Or um, how long is it to get to uh, Teaneck right now? Or how long is it to get to whichever place right now? And that gives you a lot of indications of wh what some of these patterns are, where they are, how long it takes for them to get to work every day, where, when they leave for work. Th there is so much information that could be gleaned from somebody's Google or Apple account. It's true. While the Google accounts may contain a lot of that data, I think people are utilizing ChatGPT and the like in different manners than they've used these programs before. People ask Google different questions regarding locations and history points, um, you know, asking who's the president 300 years ago. There was no president, of course. Right, but given the answer that would only be asked of ChatGPT and not of Google. You would get more uh, more solidified data from ChatGPT in a lot of cases. Google, it takes a little bit of effort to find your results, whereas the point and the, I guess, the, the, the savior for ChatGPT in some way is that it gives you human text out answers without having to find them yourself. Google will give you a list of locations that you can try to find your answer, but, but it doesn't give you your, your straight answer. It doesn't tell you... There are a few points that it gives you real answers for, but my point is when you search something on Google, let's say you search what's the best, you know, best pot to buy today, it's going to give you a link that has titles and, I, I guess, CESEO contexts that are related to having a great, uh, a great pot. However, it's not going to definitively tell you that this pot is the one you should buy. However, ChatGPT is designed to be able to do just that. It would say, this is the best pot on the market based on my data that I have available. Th that is correct, but at the same time, what uh, Google is also working on an alternative to ChatGPT. And all the, these AI models are, are, are basically the future of search. And we are, we're going to look at the way we currently search the internet as pretty antiquated very soon. I, I think that that's my point, and that's really where my question lies, is how can we prevent, not prevent the use and the encouragement of the creation of such models, but how do we prevent this data from being taken uh, for malicious purposes and making sure that your questions are secured in a good manner? You know, perhaps not having, uh, perhaps disabling cookies on your browser and not logging into these websites can 
help. But in a lot of cases, the websites force you to use login data uh, in order to track your your use and your progress of the website. You know, ChatGPT doesn't let you use it unless you're logged in. And in a lot of cases, Google prevents you from utilizing all their resources unless you're logged into an account. And that right there creates a point where they can say this user is using our platform in, in a certain way. And how do we prevent that data from being taken for malicious purposes? Well, it's a valid point that is addressed in other contexts. You know, Google accounts are secured in, you know, certain ways. They have strong uh, two-factor authentication that's being pushed now for a lot of Google accounts. How do we prevent these AI models that you just search random things with from being taken maliciously and taken over by a company that you don't want? That it's a good question, and this is why, and this is not a sponsorship, but a use of VPN in order to be able to prevent go, to prevent uh, companies from tracking your data as much, and it does provide a buffer. I mean, I use ExpressVPN, which again, I'm not sponsoring, in this episode at least, with, but at the same time, these VPNs have a strong intrinsic value. So VPNs only work if you are browsing the web anonymously. The point of the VPN is to hide your location from other companies. What I'm more leaning towards in this question is usernames and passwords that tie you to certain accounts. These websites force you, in the most cases, to create an account that's dedicated for your use. A VPN is not going to prevent that data from being collected but because it's tied to your account. That is true, but people need to move towards dummy accounts much more. Like to have a second email address, which is an alias, and then to have a, se a separate profile which would then collect some data on you but at the same time you're not storing all your eggs in one basket so dummy accounts could help and that could be a method of doing so of, of preventing your data from being utilized but i think to less of an extent than you're realizing a dummy account simply takes your name away from the presence of the account i mean that does help well it does, it's not going to tie it directly to you the fact of the matter is the account is being used for such searches. You know, whether, whatever you're searching, whatever the context is, may, having a singular point that your data is being collected through is really a, a, major, a major issue regarding, you know, all these searches and uh, I guess uh, data collection points, Facebook and uh, Google, things like that. So when it comes to, you know, doing searches that are very basic, you know, that's fine. We can have them tied to an account, things that don't matter. But anything that has to do with, you know, personal life, you know, like looking what? up, well, looking well, up health issues or, um, you know, discrimination questions, anything that you might be facing on a day-to-day -day basis that's not necessarily basic. Right. You know, that can really be used against you in a certain way. You know, if they know that this person, this specific user is having a lot of health issues and is, you know, very concerned about something specific, you know, that can, that can definitely be a hindrance point to the yeah. user. And th there's a lot of data that can be extrapolated from them. And then subsequently, if there is an AI model backing that search, future searches might be more biased towards such a, such an event as well. To be fair, we've already been having this for a long time. Facebook even know when people poop and it goes, you know, we don't know, and they, we know that they have been manipulating the algorithm to, you know, cause people to get, become depressed or to have anxiety. We already are facing this problem for a while. ChatGPT is just the latest iteration of this, and other AI models. We, at this point, should be aware enough to know, and a lot of what this comes down to is people need to create buffers for technology. Technology is 
it filled up the vacuum that you let it fill up. It's like a toxic right. relationship. You know, the if you don't set boundaries, it will just fill up with right. what you have. So basically you're saying that people need to be the ones to take this these decisions and make them on their own. And exactly. they need to know when to step back, when to make these breakpoints and be able to adjust their use of the program and platform to not necessarily give too much information, but also to find the answer to their question yeah. in a relatively easy time. Exactly. It's like as a society, we have reached we initially were it's almost akin to a relationship with technology where we were initially in the love phase and we were just trying to get as much into our uh, life as possible but now it's reached a stage where it's just completely toxic and we need to redraw the boundaries and that's essentially where we are right now on that topic let's discuss some steps that can be taken to kind of protect your privacy and secure uh, personal data collection stored by Let's specifically say chat GPT, but we can also discuss other AI models that might come up in the future. Now, one of the things I was thinking of is making the chat GPT program less uh, specific to accounts. You know, and that's one of the main things that I uh, dislike about chat GPT right now is that in order to use it, they force you to create an account to sign up to have your details connected the first prompt that they give you is to log in with different websites such as Google or Microsoft, Facebook. Immediately, right off the bat, as a from a security perspective, that's a flag. That shows that they just want to collect as much data as possible, and you're one of, you're just a, a guinea pig for them to be able to collect. If you're data not from. paying money for the product, you are the product. That's true. However, there are easier ways for that product to not come into hand. One of the things that you even though you're the product one of the things that you can you know feed the program is the data the questions that you give it automatically are the are the product that that uh, you are the product meaning the data that you give it is the is the output that you're providing to the system so even though you're the product in that particular sense why do you have to log in to use it what's the purpose the purpose is just to collect more data for marketing purposes mm-hmm. and to send you things. But I think it should be very optional to log in to save some of the, some details. Maybe there's a benefit to logging in. You can save your specific chats. I know they, they offer that feature with ChatGPT. You can save your queries and you can come back to them and follow up with more responses and it saves that data. But there's no reason why that should be forced. There should be to totally be optional. To be fair, this is where good governance should come in, where the government should be regulating how much data companies should be able to collect. I mean, this is just a wider issue. Um, and uh, the European Union is, to some extent, trying to address this, where the government should not be able to collect mm-hmm. certain amounts of data from you. There should be exclusions. Kids should not have be, be allowed to have data collected. I mean, you can't stop kids from using these services. That's, that is unrealistic. But at the same time, this should not be a marketing piece, which currently is the case in many instances. When it comes to the government uh, forcing different regulations, I think that really goes against what a lot of people believe the government should be doing. The government is there to uh, mitigate, uh, I guess, issues between man and man. They're not really supposed to be stepping in on issues that are not politically inclined in a certain way. You know, the whole point of having a government and to have, you know, the United States of America is built on 
of the of the freedom of information and being able to be as open as possible. So having the government step in and regulate it is just going to make it harder. You know, take for example gun laws in general. The more gun laws that you have, you know, to, you can look at states that have more gun laws versus less gun laws. These, the more gun laws you have, the more issues the society has around that point. That and is correct, but at the same time, you could just have a protected class of information, such as social security numbers, where companies are not allowed to, are not allowed to store it, or they could store the birth month and birth year, but they cannot store your exact birth date, and just small small nuances like that, which, if done correctly, and I, I agree that there is a fine line, and perhaps no regulation is better. But or at least having maybe they should just regulate transparency, where there are no specific regulations. They just need to be upfront about what data is being collected, or uh, making the code open source so people have a very good idea as to what again what data is being uh, selected. Just having a clear idea of what is going on would go a long way here because a lot of what we are talking about is hypotheticals, and we are not armed with enough facts to be able to make an informed decision over what we are choosing to allow to be shared and what we're not choosing. Because I'm perfectly fine with having the month and year in which I was born uh, released you know, to the public to some extent. Uh, released, released to a company if they're collecting data. I'm not comfortable with them collecting my search. I'm not comfortable with them knowing every intimate detail of my life. I'm not comfortable with them collecting my keystrokes and therefore knowing what I'm discussing with whom at all times. Uh, or having Facebook know me well enough to know when I am using the facilities. There has to be a nuanced discussion and there has to be a certain level of transparency, which currently is not there. While that is something that can be considered, I think um, a, main, a main point is that's your decision. You mentioned at the very beginning of that statement that you don't mind having your information given. But there's no reason why that should be forced on me or anybody else. That should be an option if the company needs that data. That should be an option to have that available to input. Well, some companies do provide that. They say, hey, do you want to join our marketing list? Please provide your email and your phone number. And sometimes not all of those options are required in order to join said marketing list or to enroll with an account sometimes you'll find that there are multiple checkpoints that it, when you sign up for a website that aren't uh, required that is correct but again they are being transparent and it's about knowing what are you getting yourself into what are they collecting there's nothing wrong with collecting data if somebody is willingly cons consenting to it the issue is more when the companies are not telling you that you are the product and then running mass social experiments on you so the mass social experiments, you know, that should come at the cost of utilizing the product. Again, I don't think it necessarily should be coming at the cost of the data being collected forcefully in order to utilize the product. Obviously, it's your choice to use said product. But the fact is that the data that they're collecting when you use the product, I think, should be more the key, um, the key data that they're getting as opposed to your information and details about you. Right. Now, some of the steps that we can take, I think, I was reviewing this earlier to kind of secure uh, your personal data, I think would be to implement a different, um, like you mentioned a second ago, uh, about having dummy accounts. You know, you can, a lot of people don't know this, you can have, in most email accounts, you can have your email address, and then you can add a plus sign, and then you can add something else after that. For example, you know, your email address plus a chat GPT can be your chat GPT account. It, all the emails will still go to you, but it won't necessarily be tied to your main email address. If there's, let's say, a data breach or whatever, they're going to have to take a lot of extrapolation in order to get your data. 
Now, that's a very basic way to kind of separate your accounts. It also allows you to have multiple accounts under ChatGPT that aren't physically tied to your real email address. But at the end of the day, that data is still tied to you in some regard. I think one way that we can, you know, kind of mitigate and secure the personal data that's collected is to always utilize fake data and to have all of that stored in a secure location, off-site, off-premise, offline, you know, a key pass folder or something similar where you can store your data regarding different websites, having it not synced to the internet, not online and available, and to have all of your data in that location of what your accounts are, what your usernames and passwords are. And obviously that's just basic cybersecurity uh, awareness. However, when it comes to data collection, what you can also include in these in these uh, in these password uh, protect uh, storage programs is the usernames and passwords, the first and last names used, the fake data birth, date of birth that you put in. You know, a lot of people they go. I remember speaking to somebody a few months ago where when they were younger they signed up for like fifteen or twenty emails from Toys R Us. I don't know if you know what that is, yeah. but yeah, Toys R Us used to have a, a rewards program for kids. Stop point. Didn't they go bankrupt? Yes, they did go bankrupt, and now they're back again. Go oh, figure. Yeah. Uh, somehow, somehow they they went unbankrupt, and now they're back in a few different stores. Well, I think there's one America. in. <laughs> I think there's one in, in uh, American Dream Mall too. They have a Toys R Us there, but. Is this where we find out the whole podcast is sponsored by Toys R Us? I wish at some point, maybe soon. We'll see. But the idea is that maybe they. Oh, so uh, what I was saying, they went back and they signed up for like 15 or 20 accounts on Toys R Us and the Toys R Us rewards would give them a gift every month for their nice. birthday. Obviously, their birthday wasn't <laughs> monthly, but the fact they signed up with like 15 or 20 email accounts, you know, it shows that it is possible and that... Listen, in every system, you could game it if you work hard enough. Exactly. So gaming the system, I think, is one, you know, I don't know what other how other way to put it, but gaming the system, I think, could be... Um, very helpful in, in you know mitigating the personal data that's collected by these not just AI programs but you know websites in general. Whenever you sign up for something, try to you know incorporate you know basic security precautions. Don't always use your name first and last name. Don't always use the email address that you normally utilize. Have different email addresses that you use just to kind of spread your surface out a little bit. That way it's not all tied to a central source. It's also like this company, which I was listening to a podcast and they were actually sponsoring it. I uh, can't remember it off the top of my head, but essentially they create fake credit cards, which you use then to pay and you load it up with exactly the amount Correct. of money which you need to pay. And it, it, it protects your credit card data in case of a breach. Correct. So that, that that's one use, you know, one example of protecting your data. I think, you know, credit cards is just one key factor, but also, you know, your your name and your your address that can also be a, a very critical, uh, you know, data point that could be that needs to be protected. Right. Now, with all of this said, the ethics of ChatGPT. This is our next topic for today. All of the points that we've discussed so far, I think, can be incorporated into the ethics of an AI uh, an AI. Uh, environment you know the impacts of ai on employment and the job market i think it, we briefly talked about this a few weeks ago but that's already starting to become a very serious point in question i was reading about this hr person i'm sorry who uh, went and was advertising for a job and she received a cover letter that was perfect for the job application that she was looking for she was looking for an hr assistant and the 
application cover letter. She uh, immediately put in the question to ChatGPT, and ChatGPT gave her the exact same cover letter that this person put. And people on the internet were raging at her, whether this was a good thing or a bad thing. At the end of the day, she... It honestly sounds inevitable. Well, that's what a lot of people are going to now be using when they apply for jobs, and they're not going to put in the effort, you know, whether it's good or bad, they're not going to put in the effort to make all of these... uh, you know, a lot of times people call them silly um, things, cover letters, and a lot of cases are just silly and useless for most job applications. But in this particular case, the the lady responded, you know, a lot of people in the comments were saying that it's a good idea. You should hire them just for creativity. And she's like, I'm hiring this person to be an HR representative. I don't want the HR representative to have gotten the job based on using chat gpt I mean, to, to, to answer fair, the question to be fair pre- before chat gpt what everyone basically did was they would google a cover letter they'll copy and paste it onto their computer and then they'll be editing from there so the fact that somebody's using chat gpt it just means that they should have taken the 10 percent to just make the slight edits you know and then use it i think that's now, the point who writes a cover letter from scratch i think that's the point yes if this you're my person... employer don't listen to me <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the point that the, that the HR representative was trying to show that this particular applicant didn't even take the two steps to edit it to make it seem a little bit more personable. They simply copied and pasted directly from ChatGPT, including all of the key points that the job was looking for. Now, that's the point of a cover letter. It's a, when you're applying for a specific job, you include that cover letter to show that, hey, I'm the best candidate for the job because of all of the skills that the job required. But when you're applying for an HR representative and you copied and pasted the information from ChatGPT, I, I think that that's already a strike against you. I think you. they're going to have to practice firing themselves. <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> firing yourselves for harmful, uh, uh, wrongful termination. Yeah. All right. So Gross misconduct. <laughs> the, the employment and the job market is, I think, a key aspect that AI will be utilized in. Um, oh. I wonder if people will start using it for creating job descriptions as opposed to looking like not from the candidate perspective, but more for the hiring agent perspective, you know, making job descriptions that are unique and interesting to people. Um, I wonder if the AI could be more helpful in that. You know, a lot of times when you see a job application, it's very generic and you're not really sure what the job is looking for other than they want somebody who's got 15 years of qualifications on an entry level position for an entry level (laughs) position, then, you know, there's something fishy going on. So maybe an AI model, you know, the fact that AI can be used to generate a lot of this data that might be beneficial to create more accurate job descriptions for the marketplace. I mean, the, the big issue is the fact that AI is replacing many jobs before you need the journalist to actually write a good article. Now, what you could do is you could just ask, a AI generator to write an article and just proofread it and make minor edits, or then just have it, you know, work on. And th- and th- let's face it, ChatGPT is not the only game in town. There are many other language models, and there are many better ones. And we are just starting to actually start using these. The idea of having hiring a photographer for um to to create let's say cover album album art covers, or even to have this thing of actually sing and write get have music written is something which may we may look at in the past. Uh, as a thing of the past, as we would eventually be reaching a stage where art, when it comes to art, you could have thousands of very high quality images generated instantly. Or when it comes to music, you could have your favorite artists produce 27 songs every year, effortlessly. And that's just going to, that's just going to increase as time goes on. And we are going to see a massive radical shift in the job market. And the question is how, uh, how would that play out? And are we prepared for that? 
I think that's really just the technological advancement that we've seen over the last 30 years in general. Every time something is technologically advanced to the next level or even 10 levels above where it was beforehand, you see that a lot of jobs that were lower level jobs, the people doing those lower level jobs were slowly being switched out. But those people were also being promoted in a certain sense to a higher level position that they weren't um, previously qualified for because of the technology that's available to them. You know, previously, if you wanted to have, you know, uh, a phone call between uh, between two points, you used to have to have a switchboard and you had switchboard operators. Now, those same people, while not physically the same people today, because that was such a long time ago, those same types of people could instead be customer service representatives for the phone company, or they could be technicians for the phone company maintaining their resources that are available. So the while the specific job might no longer exist because of the technology, it may also open up jobs that didn't yet um, didn't people didn't get need or think about. And more specifically, when you're talking about the AI model taking over journalism, let's say you're still going to need somebody to proofread and that proofreader is going to need to have a lot of experience behind him creating and proofreading articles in order to make sure that the article is accurate. So the AI may be helpful in a journalist's job, but it's not going to fully remove that journalist's job because the journalist still needs to be there to make sure that the information that they wanted to portray is indeed being included in the article. That is correct, but the thing is, aside from uh, artificial intelligence engineers and you know machine learning engineers and the like, what form of jobs would actually be created for AI? You know, which are low-level jobs which could actually be carried. Because let's face it, AI engineers they need a master's level of education and or a IQ of probably one ten or above. Now, fact is, one ten intrinsically that excludes about sixty percent of the population in itself. So, what would low-level uh, people, so to speak? You know, in terms of the uh, intelligence scale, or who are not specialized in that, or people who have already specialized in something which is about to become redundant, even though they have the good job and they have done essentially nothing wrong, uh, what would be the solution for them? Well, you're talking specifically the developers and engineers, but what about all the people who are using this on a day-to-day basis? Those users are not going to need to be master-level education um, you know, students. They're going to simply need to be people who are creative enough to utilize the platform to its full potential. So being able to ask it specific questions and receive those answers, that's really what we're looking for. So any job, I would say, that requires research, you know, whether it's developing or whether it's, you know, maintaining training manuals, anything like that, that can all be used and the job can still be maintained while still utilizing ChatGPT to in essence, get a better response than what you would have on your own. That's really the main point of having something like an AI program is to get something that you would not have been able to reach on your own level. I, I do see that. And I, one thing which I also see coming out of this is that people, we're going to have a much more healthy society in the sense that right now we are in a situation where both parents have to work realistically in order for uh, a household to be able to be functional in many situations, especially in expensive areas like in you know, big cities. But we are going to be reaching a stage where there probably would be a reduction in employment. But that may not inherently be a bad thing because it may lead to more one-parent uh, working households, which 
would then lead to kids being able to have a much more stable uh, upbringing and education rather than the current homeostasis, which is producing a very unhealthy generation. So that's one thing that my dad brought up. Uh, I was with him you know, we almost two weeks ago, well, a week and a half ago, I went down to visit. And he, w- he was mentioning that the people who are moving around from job to job now is, seems to be much, much less than what it was 20, 30 years ago. And, and that can be a very big uh, benefit to people who want to have their, um, their children with, at home with somebody or to increase the income potential for a specific person in the household. Having less um, movement and more stability in your living situation and living environment in the long run, you know, that's really something that's proven to be beneficial to all people in the household. So having, you know, less job, uh, less job movements across the country, less people moving around to get the best jobs. I think that that could be, that could be a helpful uh, piece when it comes to the, the AI models being able to kind of assist you in those increases. You don't have the same benefits as moving across country to get a higher paying job. But instead you have now the AI models that are available to aid you in your jobs that that can increase your skill set and increase your productivity to make you more valuable even within your location right now. That's a nice note to wrap things up on. You know, a nice good positive note. Let's hope that all technological advancements lead to more of a utopia rather than a dystopia, which every piece of technology has the potential to lead up to. Beautiful. Well, thank you all so much for listening to the episode of Brood Awakenings, and we hope you continue to enjoy this episode and found it helpful or informative. If you do have any questions, comments, or feedback, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach us on the comment section or by leaving a review on your favorite podcast app. Don't forget to subscribe in order to stay up to date on all of our future podcasts. (laughs) 